Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. Um, My guest on today's podcast is my friend joining us via Zoom from Dallas, Texas, Megan Skidmore. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thank you, Richard. I am grateful to be here. Um, Megan is a a life coach. She's a parent of an LGBTQ kiddo. Um, She has a life coaching um, work that she does. And so I just wanted our listeners to connect with Megan. She's somebody that I've seen in the community. Um, really be helpful and thoughtful and just thought her voice might be helpful for you if you're a parent, if you're a local leader, if you're LGBTQ. Um, And so I'll I'll read you a little bit about her from her website. This is at meganskidmorecoaching.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. And so you can find that. Um, But I'm just going to read a little bit. I work with parents and their teens of LGBTQ kiddos in a conservative faith background who world, whose world feels like it's upside down, turned upside down. I love that. And I'm skipping to this next section. Born and raised in LDS, I did all the things. I was baptized at age eight. I'd actively involved in primary and youth classes. Um, I went on a mission. I graduated from BYU twice. I was married in the Mount Timpanogos Temple. I have two amazing, beautiful children. I could go on. I had all the boxes, or I thought, I checked all the boxes, or so I thought, and found out three years ago I had another one. I learned God had sent a precious, a choice individual, one of the most precious spirits from our Heavenly Father. He sent us a kiddo who identifies as LGBTQ. Um, That just... I read that for the first time today, even though I've known you for a while, Megan, it just tugged at my heartstrings. Yeah, um, and mine I, too. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of parents that are listening that are walking in the space for the first time as their kids coming out or they s- suspect or their local leader wanting to do the right thing, that resonates with them. Your t- child identifies as trans. This is recorded during Trans Awareness Week, listeners. Um, it probably is being released a little after that week, but the, um, it should trans awareness is more than a week. It's, a um, part of our responsibilities, Latter-day Saints, I think. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to Megan, but in the show notes, just so you know, what will be in the show notes and I'll reference this at the end will be a Megan Skidmore coaching.com M E A G A N Skidmore coaching.com. She has a podcast there. I've been honored to be on her podcast called Beyond the Shadow of Doubt. Um, You can get to that from her homepage. She shared her story in the past in a few spots. Um, One is Lift and Love, a terrific organization. Her story's written there, so we'll link to that. She's been on a couple podcasts sharing her stories, so we'll link to those. Mm -hmm. So if you want to hear more of this story, um, those will be in the show notes. And especially if you want to connect with Megan, for her work as a life coach, if you're a parent navigating this space, you may find Megan's work really helpful for you. And she's in this space from a professional standpoint, providing um, needed skills for parents. Is that okay for an introduction, Megan? It's great. So I'm I'm happy with that. <laughs> and we will turn it over to you to share your story. Okay. Thank you. Um, 
I'm so used to being on the other <laughs> side. Being interviewed is um, brings its own energy, <laughs> different jitters. Um, yeah, like you've already said um, a little bit about my or- origin story. I was born and raised in the LDS Church, and um, thought I was doing everything right, quote unquote right, but have since learned that can look differently for some. And um, I'm realizing after listening to you read what's on my website, I need to update it. Uh, It's been about four and a half years um, now in this space. And uh, so that was in 2019 that we learned our youngest identifies, identified as LGBTQ+. Uh, This was through a text that... I that came to my phone. My kids were still young enough at the time we were getting their texts. So my kiddo did not get the opportunity to share their identity on their own. It was something that was found out, which I truly believe in hindsight was di- divine intervention. Um, and so when I started to pick up on um, cues, uh, clothing choices, interests, um, certain messages, I decided if there was more to share, I was going to allow my kiddo to um, share that organically, whatever that meant for him and um, and to make a, a conscious choice. Because I know there is a certain amount of growth that comes with a person I guess, mustering up the courage, you know, stepping forward into their own, um, their own self, their own truth, their own identity. That is no small thing. And so AJ, that's my kiddo's name in 2021, a little over two years after that initial text, um, he shared, and this time it was in person, um, that he identified as transgender. And I have shared more about that um, recently, and it was tricky and hard for various reasons. And so I would invite you to, like uh, Richard, you said, I would invite listeners to go to Lift in Love's website and read it there. Um, it's It takes a lot of energy to share it. And um, so we'll leave, I'll direct you to those sources and um, leave it at, at that. But what I'd really like to focus on and share with um, folks today is my journey kind of since 2021. I've already said um, it was kind of hard. It was um, the reality of it was I, I don't even have the words when I, when I put on my, my website, you know, you feel like your world has been turned upside down. I mean, you really do. It feels like, um, your foundation has been pulled out from underneath you and you're trying to find where it is and um, how to make sense of things. Uh, so for me, one of the ways that I deal with that or cope with that is through education. I educate myself and I learn and I talk to people and I, I just find out all that I can 
And so I have done just that. I have talked with a lot of folks in this space, LGBTQ plus individuals and their families, and specifically those who identify as transgender. There is a particular, um, I'll, I'll say, um, journey that accompanies identifying as transgender. I think primarily because of the gender binary that we have been taught and socialized into from the time of birth. Um, but according to the Human Rights Campaign, and this is directly from their website, I'm going to read this. The word transgender or trans is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity is different from the sex assigned at birth. And although the word transgender and our modern definition of it only came into use in the late 20th century, people who would fit under this definition have existed in every culture throughout recorded history. Transgender and non-binary people come from all walks of life. The Human Rights Campaign has estimated there are more than 2 million across the United States. They are parents, siblings, kids. They are your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends. They are seven-year-olds and 70-year-old grandparents. They are a very diverse community representing all racial and ethnic backgrounds as well as all faith traditions. Um, I would be lying if I, if I didn't say there wasn't a certain amount of um, mourning that I experienced in the beginning. Um, you know, the word mourn means to feel or show deep sorrow or regret for um, someone or maybe for a death um, or feel sadness or regret about the loss or disappearance of something. And so I've talked with enough, I've talked with enough other parents of transgender kiddos to know I'm, I'm not alone in, in the way that I was feeling. You do experience this sense of loss. <sighs> Over the kiddo you thought you knew. Um, there are reasons that people mourn, like mentioned illness, death, infirmity, debilitating disease, and unexpected life circumstances um, like can also bring on mourning. Um, unmet expectations can feel like a death of sorts, and this can bring on grief. And the mourning can be different for everybody. Um, it's not necessarily the life circumstances that bring it on, but it could be. A lot of it has to do with a significant discrepancy between what a person has understood or viewed their entire life and then that rolling out or happening in a very different way or not happening at all. And so for someone who is looking from the outside in, it's really important to consider how your view of a situation 
may affect what you say or how you act or how you reach out or whether or not you reach out at all. It's important to consider that what you say or do has the potential to add to or alleviate another's burden. And I bring this up because in the LGBTQ plus community, including their families, um, sometimes there is, there are moments where they are in some type of mourning, right? Mourning, having feeling sad feelings about feeling a loss of something that they thought would happen or that a reality that they thought would come to fruition. Some ways that those that maybe are not in this community can, I want to talk a little bit about ways that they can be aware of how they can add to versus alleviate that um, another's life situation. Um, Adding to a burden can be like assuming the worst or not educating yourself, you know, doing your homework to find out more about the issues before you talk to somebody in this space or their family. It can look like projecting your fears or even treating the individual or their family like they are contagious or something like discouraging your family from being around them, for instance, around LGBTQ plus individuals or especially transgender. Because it's, I, I understand that it's a misunderstood space and that's where the onus is on each of us to, to educate ourselves. And the best way that I can suggest to, to alleviate another's burdens is through asking questions, having curiosity and something that you are a huge proponent of, and that is listening. Um, if you're aiming to lift another's burdens, that is, those are some of the best ways to do so. Something that I have learned um, as an empath, I've, I'm very aware of the energy of others around me. I can pick up on it. I can feel often what others are feeling. And um, that's a good thing. I've learned to see that as a blessing. There was a time when I felt shame about it if I was sad for too long or something. But what I've done is I've, I've learned that I have to just be more aware and be careful about energy that I expose myself to. So let me explain. Um, When I pick up on what others deeply feel, it imprints upon me. It imprints upon my energy. And so for instance, in the capacity of coach and client relationship, I can keep healthy boundaries like by meeting once a week, set a certain amount of time that I meet with them. Um, I offer support in a structured way um, in between sessions, like through email or through Voxer. However, in other relationships, I have to be the one to set up parameters. So if I'm around energy that doesn't celebrate my family and specifically my kiddo, I feel it deeply. And that energy imprints upon me. And if I'm exposed to it over and over, it takes a toll. It's not mentally healthy for me to continue to put myself in situations 
that aren't conducive to positive mental health. So when you hear people say that they need to take a break or distance themselves from the church for mental health reasons, this could be part of what they're referring to. I can only speak for myself, of course. Um, but this is is very real. You can pick up on the energy through what people say, through their body language, through their reactions, um, and through inactions, right? When people stop reaching out that maybe once did. And again, for my own mental health and well-being, I I am I'm not going to beg, for lack of a better word, for people to love, accept, you know, embrace me, my family, my kiddo. I I can't do that. I don't have the energy and it's kind of self-deprecating. And it's also not community, the definition of community or friendship, and and certainly not Christ-like. So on the reverse, how to alleviate, right? How to help lift. These are my suggestions. Look for things to celebrate about the family. You do not have to, this doesn't require any agreement, any talk of political um, viewpoints, none of that. Look for reasons to celebrate. Um, And as I've mentioned before, truly one of the most meaningful ways to show love and to alleviate another's burden is just listening. Um, I, I cannot emphasize enough how important that is. You can, as you're listening, practice raising your awareness of your response when listening to others in a variety of situations. So practice maybe with a friend or a family member before chatting with um, the individual or family, you know, LGBTQ plus family. If you feel tempted to interject, notice that. Pause, take a deep breath, consciously keep your mouth closed, wait, hold your comments to yourself and allow them to speak. And then if after they've spoken, you feel your comment is still relevant, appropriate and or helpful, then proceed with caution, always asking yourself whether the question or comment is coming from your own fears or if you are expressing love. And this could sound like if your sentence begins with but, Mm. or well, what about, or do you really think, or have you thought of, and definitely what if are, are often red flags for a response coming from our own fear, our own prejudice, bias or understanding or or even misunderstanding conversely a response coming from love sounds like thank you for trusting me with your story i didn't know that my understanding has increased thank you what can i do to support you what if anything do you need And if you truly do have concerns, opinions, or doubts about the way another's life, quote, looks, you know, how they're living it, 
I invite you to consider these um, concepts, free agency, regardless of what you think about how they're living their life, they have their free agency. And so what you think about it really is irrelevant. Put the relationship first in all that you do and all that you say. Put the care, the concern, the importance of that person or family first. And also process your own discomfort on your own, whether that's with a therapist, a life coach, a support group, maybe a trusted confidant. Process it on your own time because all too often folks in the LGBTQ plus community and their families pay the price of the discomfort of others. And this is through judgmental comments, unwelcome or inappropriate questions, unfair assumptions, unsolicited advice, unwarranted criticism, being ostracized, or the politicizing of their lives and their, you know, choosing sides. Many view them living authentically as making some sort of lifestyle choice. And I have talked with so many LGBTQ individuals and their families. I have yet to meet anyone who takes this lightly and is choosing to live this way. This is them leaning to leaning into a whole lot of discomfort in many instances for themselves. And that's actually an understatement. They are learning to live with, metabolize, push through, and come out on the other side with a lot of discomfort. They are learning to lean into their own God-given story. And isn't that really what personal revelation is? Peeling back the layers of one's divine story. Leaning into that intuition, to that inner voice inside that is guiding and directing us. It's called a different thing in many faith traditions. Inner wisdom, inner authority, um, intuition. Um, <clears throat> and potential is, to, to peel back those layers is, is leaning into this idea of of God-given potential. It's like believing in what exists right around the corner. It's it's listening to those, <clears throat> those inklings, those whisperings, those guidances, and trusting. Even when those around them, much of society is telling them something different something that actually makes many of them for a while at least hate themselves or or try to end their earthside existence um <clears throat> going back to this leaning into that inner wisdom that intuition that personal revelation it's it's seeking to know and understand something with our minds intellectually and our hearts 
which is our feelings and emotions. The scriptures teach us this. And since we feel our feelings in our bodies, think about having jitters if you're feeling anxious, shaky hands if you're feeling nervousness. Maybe you feel a light and airiness when you feel joyful, a warm blanket feeling when you feel peace, or a heaviness in your heart if you feel disappointment or grief. This is all very much a mind, heart, body experience. And these folks in this community and their families are not taking this lightly. And and if this struggle of leaning into identity doesn't, that I'm describing doesn't necessarily resonate with you, it could be that you have privilege. And the reality of living a life following your heart, your story, your personal revelation or intuition and God-given talents of gifts, interests, strengths is a luxury that many people who are attracted to others in a heterosexual normative way may take for granted or people of a certain color or not of a certain color of skin or a certain gender or not a certain gender or experience disability or or otherwise. So that's another area I invite listeners to check in with and raise your awareness is some type of privilege keeping me from seeing or are actually learning to mourn with those who have, who are in mourning or taking care of things that are causing me discomfort on, on my own time. If there's one message that I really want to drive home, this is kind of the crux. And I learned this personally as a mother. That we cannot tell other people's stories for them. We cannot listen to them and then say, Well, I disagree. That's not right. You're basically saying, I don't believe you or you're lying. And that is so dehumanizing. And because this topic has become so politicized and and people tend to take sides, that makes how we speak, what we do all the more important. It's, it's dangerous if we're taking sides. It's dangerous if it's politicized because then I personally believe we're at great risk for losing sight of the humanity in all of this. We are in danger of losing sight of people's hearts. And we're also missing out on some very powerful, life-changing, to-the-core type of changes And heartbreaking stories that have the capacity to work magic on all of humanity. And when I say heartbreaking, it doesn't have to be a negative. My heart has broken multiple times throughout this journey. And each time, it gets bigger, deeper, increases in understanding. And it creates more room to love. 
the one thing that has been solid for me. You know, when you feel like your life has been turned upside down, you want to grasp onto those things that help you feel grounded. The things that uh, maintain uh, status quo for you, I guess. And for me, that has been my belief in a higher power. There are times when I don't fully understand why things are the way they are. But my belief and trust in and leaning into who I understand God to be has been an anchor through most of this. And I know that God is okay. with how I am navigating this space. With the choices that I'm making. Even if, let's just say, I'm a thousand percent wrong, God is still okay with that because there is value in learning and growth and progress. That's what we're here for. I believe that's one of the reasons we needed to come and experience this earthly existence, this progress, certain things we couldn't do prior. Um, that's really what I had prepared to share, and I didn't anticipate as many tears, but like I've been taught by my Coach Kim, tears are where the healing is. Tears are the releasing of what needs to come out. So I try to remind myself of that when I'm crying like a, a, a fool. Thank you, Megan. Listeners, this is just a sacred space. And I came into this podcast from a business issue and was not connected to what I was going to hear from Megan. And this, and this, I'm just struck with you and your good heart and this is a sacred space. This is very different than being on my computer half an hour ago working through a business issue. This is where humanity um, helps each other. Um, 
And when I go from the contrast of the last hour to this hour, it's just striking to me. Um, But on behalf of all of our listeners, thank you for opening your heart in this podcast and time and time again and bringing your spiritual gifts, your parental insights, your coaching skills, your gospel insights to this space to help us better understand. Listeners, I wrote down a lot of notes. (laughs) And um, this is maybe one of the better podcasts about mourning and just, you know, what we can do from a pastoral perspective to be better. Um, I love your desire to educate yourself. And um, education's our friend. And when you realized you had an LGBTQ kiddo, AJ, transgender son, I think you mentioned pronouns he in there. So I'm, um, you decided I'm going to educate myself and I'm going to learn all I can. And I thought that was really thoughtful. That's, um, then I can't even say this word out loud very well. I, I, you know, you then talked about, you know, this isn't something that people are contagious. You don't become LGBTQ by being around LGBTQ. And yeah. I remember I was in Phoenix a couple of weeks ago at the McDonald's home, Eric and Liz and another home. We were talking with a parent that had a trans kid, the kid, their young men's or young women's were pulling away from this kid. And I think the assumption there is that even if you had a trans kid, that's a bad outcome. And so the assumption is there that I, I might contaminate my cis kid to be a trans kid. And the whole assumption of that is that it's a bad outcome to have a trans kid or an LGBTQ kid. And right. I, I just, you know, I agree. I just don't believe that. And I believe Heavenly Father created everybody equal. And even though being a gender minority or sexual minority makes your life hard and takes different types of parenting skills and it can be really painful. Um, you're honest about mourning, but it is not a bad outcome to have a trans kid. Um, that is not like something we're trying to avoid as parents or as local leaders or as friends. That's just part of the beautiful needed diversity, I believe. And so I've shifted on that a little bit that, you know, so one is it's not contagious and two, it's even if, it, and it isn't a bad outcome. Then you talked about probably the best anybody's done on the podcast about not only just we need to listen, but then you actually practically shared how to listen um, in really thoughtful ways and things we should or shouldn't do. Um, That was just, that was awesome, Megan. And I wrote one chapter in my first book about listening. Um, I even put a poem in that chapter. It's the only poem I've ever written, but I searched for church leader quotes about listening. And there's about, I could find about two. And I think it's just a spiritual attribute or gift that we don't talk about very much in, in our church. And I think it's something that we can do better as. I want to continue to improve, but we just do better sometimes at, at other things that we do in our faith community or broader than our faith community. And listening is the healing balm and you're, you know, um, that was really, really thoughtful. Um, then you kind of talked about, um, being curious and, um, I've been thinking about our church 
for those of you, the Latter-day Saints, was built on curiosity, but it feels like sometimes we've shifted to certainty. Um, we were built on curiosity, but we're now sort of, and I just think we can continue to do both. We can be certain, like you are, about God's love, but we can be curious about things we don't understand and just not dismiss them as a sign of the last days or Satan confusing his children or some of the things that we may pass off um, spaces we don't understand, but to be curious and do what Megan's done um, in your personal story. Um, so I love that. I wrote that down and I loved um, your thoughts about privilege. And I love that, you know, all LGBTQ often pay the price that people in privilege don't um, pay. And I thought that was really helpful. Um, then this quote of yours that I wrote down was stars. You know, we can't tell other people's stories for them. Um, and it's just so, so thoughtful about, you know, Megan, about this idea that we can't tell other people's stories for them. Um, so those are some of the thoughts that came to my mind as you were sharing. Um, just more thoughts that come to your mind you'd like to share. Yeah, I appreciate you talking about this idea of curiosity versus certainty. It's it's actually a much more mentally healthy way to navigate life. Um, we tend to want to be certain about things. It creates a, we think it creates a feeling of safety, but then when new information is introduced, that's, that's where it becomes unsettling. Um, that's where um, you know, we're at risk for not being open-minded, not, not learning, you know, what we don't know yet. And um, there is so much that we don't know. I, I thought I understood what gender was, what sexuality was, but they're both two different things. Um, I know you've had Monica Phillips on your podcast. I interviewed Monica. Not that that genetic proof is needed, right? Listening to someone and, and hearing them share their truth, going back to those feelings that they feel deeply inside that only come to them. You know, that quote shouldn't need scientific evidence in order for us to to believe them or listen to them um i think that's such an important part of being ministers um and mourning with those that mourn and you know what i i think that implies conversely sharing in others joy and in their happiness and I did mention, I forgot to mention earlier, even though at the time I felt this sense of loss, this sense of, of grief for the child that I had come to know, I was able to learn to love both, both the child that I had come to know up to that point and the child that I then began to get to know and understand and see in a way that perhaps they felt was 
well, no, not perhaps, but that they felt was more authentic to their life experience. It's okay to love them both. It's okay to, to mourn. And it's okay to celebrate who they are becoming. Love that. This is kind of where I prayed that I'll ask questions that you want me to ask listeners. Um, <laughs> and you are not, and it's not in real time, so I don't quite know how that works, but I trust God maybe can help me. Talk about two parents that are in this spot where it's there's a lot of tension and a trans kid is saying, you know, you've got to wipe my prior life off the face of the family. You've got to eliminate pictures of my prior gender, any reference to that in baby books or pictures. I just don't want any representation in the home of my prior self. I just want representation of my new self, my new pronouns. I hope I'm using okay vocabulary. I'm not trying to polarize this question, listeners. And yeah. also parents that are saying, you know, you're not welcome around the house um, with your new name and your, you know, if you socially transitioned or medically transitioned, you're not welcome here. You know, we're going to use your prior name and your prior pronouns. And so I'm kind of using dramatic um, examples on both sides, but maybe it just, you can share with us principles because I know this is, would not be new conversation to you to try to bring families together in this complicated space? Those are all really good questions and, and very valid questions. Um, and, um, you know, some that I, I have experienced. The way that my, my suggestion about a child requesting that things from their past be forgotten or even in their mind erased, pictures removed, um, taken down from the house. Just because they're asking that on the surface and you honor that doesn't mean you can't allow yourself to feel whatever sadness or grief you might be feeling in that moment. Um, this is probably not the best example, um, but for me, my my weight, my health has been a lifelong journey, and there are pictures from my past that I don't like to look at because I'm heavier. Um, not everybody will experience it that way, and that's okay, but I feel you know, great discomfort at times when I see myself in different places where maybe I wasn't being represented for who I really felt like I was. I get that weight, a body weight is something that theoretically is in one's control. control. Sometimes there's genetic components, sometimes there's metabolism, thyroid, all that kind of a thing that come into play. Um, but that's kind of how I look at it. 
that you can make the removal of pictures mean whatever you want it to mean. I always know the pictures. that I have in my heart, those will always be there. And I think it's really important to remember that today is not forever. Just because a person is requesting or has a certain desire at this moment, doesn't mean that it's always going to be that way. People evolve. People grow, they change. And I think that's where allowing potential, allowing what might be, allowing what we don't quite know is, you know, yet just, just allowing for that space rather than capping it off with, you know, well, that's it. It's either up on the wall or it's not right. Just, just allow space allow for room for what might be. And um, regarding the um, honoring of a new name or not honoring it, um, in a similar way, um, you know, I've, I've thought about this a lot. We think nothing of individuals who go by a nickname their whole life. You know, I don't know many people who go by Baba that it's their name on their birth certificate. Maybe it is. And that's okay too. Um, you know, or Pappy or Peepaw or a grandparent figure or Noni or Nana or um, Lolly for a grandparent figure. E even to the point of, you know, people who take on initials versus their maybe first and middle name. Um, somebody whose name is Theodore, but goes by Ted or Teddy, or sometimes something completely different. And that doesn't change who they are on the inside. It doesn't change their heart, their soul, their core being. It's the, the name is, is a way that we, we call ourselves, we identify ourselves. And in some ways, I think for, for folks particularly who identify as transgender, it's, it's a way for them to own and claim this experience, um, to be, because there is um such a a binary way of thinking you're either this or you're that um i sometimes this this human desire to to fit in to belong um you know motivates okay well i know i'm not this and so this feels more like how I identify or what feels like me. 
And, um, you know, I've known of kiddos who have maybe changed their name once or twice or even three times. And that is part, I view that as part of this self-discovery that kids go through. Um, I think we as a society just speak less generally about sex and gender. It's just a topic that historically has been less comfortable. I mean, think about how much more we talk about it now versus, you know, my parents' generation versus that previous generation versus, you know, we, we evolve as we gain more understanding, as we learn more, as we increase in knowledge, as we educate ourselves and, and evolve as humans, um, you know, that, that dialogue changes. And so I think sometimes some of the discomfort around this topic particularly um, is founded in just the whole topic of sex and gender being a difficult one for many, particularly of previous generations, um, older generations, this new generation, generation Z, <laughs> and even millennials, they, they have a lot less, um, I don't know, inhibitions yeah. in talking about these things. Um, and then you also talked about what about the families who say you can't be around um, if you are dressed like this or if you have gone through some body changes or whatnot. This may come across as very, um, I don't know, perhaps hard to hear, but I think it's worth bringing this up. If you think about how many people have changes made to their bodies by choice, women get breast augmentations, people get tummy tucks or facelifts or all kinds of injections. Sometimes there's true medical like need, I guess we could call it, I've heard of women getting a breast reduction because it caused back pain, but it was this person's decision. I would just invite listeners to take a self-assessment of how you are viewing this topic in general. If you know of individuals who have had procedures, whether it's been for health reasons or cosmetic reasons, are you passing the same judgment on them that you're passing on to those in the LGBTQ plus community and specifically transgender? You know, as I'm, I'm in, I just turned 51 and I am taking hormones and it's not lost on me that mm. in certain states right now, legally, there are people who cannot take hormone um for their age or it's 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 very much a hot button topic i'm only bringing this up to point out that 
really and truly, we are the ones to decide or should be ideally the ones to decide what is best for us and for our families, along with educated practitioners and professionals. This is another problem when this topic becomes so politicized. We start, and I say collectively, we, um, thinking it's within our responsibility or our jurisdiction to decide what somebody should or shouldn't do with their bodies. Um, And I'm not sitting here talking to you saying that I know what someone should do in this situation. It's very personal. I mean, we would never think, ever think of approaching somebody in our civic community, our faith community, our neighborhood and saying, you look different. Did you get, did you get some surgery done up here? I mean, you just, it looks a little bit different than the last time I saw you. I mean, we just won't, we just wouldn't think of that. It's not appropriate, but yet we think nothing of talking about the bodies of those who identify as transgender and LGBTQ plus when it's truly not our concern. If you are a family, a parent, if you are an individual who identifies in this way, then yes, it is your concern. And once your child hits 18, my take on it is your job is to love. Going back to those concepts that I brought up earlier, to consider, um, you know, even if you disagree or are uncomfortable with the way somebody is living their life, if you have opinions or doubts about the way another's life looks, remember free agency. If the way I like to think about it is if God trusted each of us enough to grant free will. I mean, certainly I can allow that and trust my child. That doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. And um, And it definitely doesn't mean um, that any one of us has all the right answers. I mean, there's as many potential life pathways as there are humans that have existed, that currently exist, that will come to this earth. Um, But I believe if you put the relationship first, if you put your trust in God, in a supreme or divine being, the universe, whatever you call it, it's going to be okay. Um, 
I think it's common for parents to worry about what doing some type of medical interventions will do, you know, or, or how that it will affect uh, a kid's re- reproductive capacities. And it's a valid concern. Uh, and a thought that I have had before is, you know, there's, there's a lot of folks out there who, for whatever reason, are unable to conceive naturally, and they have created a family in, in other ways. There's so many ways to get from point A to point B. Um, there are people who have had surgeries done that maybe they regret later or other body alterations. But it's it's not the end of the world for them, right? I think when we go to this all or nothing thinking, it's just, it gets really tricky. Um, where it's hard, it's hard not to. That's That's what our human brains will do in an attempt to protect us and keep us safe. It's just, these are just thoughts that I've had that maybe will help somebody else um, to take a step back and try to shed it in a little bit different light, look at it in a different way, but above all, trusting in the divine and and putting the relationship first with your, your child or your family member and um, remembering that they have free agency. And uh, it's it's truly not for us to judge. I'm thinking this, you know, there's a lot of parents listening that are new to this space and how helpful your wise counsel is to them. And um, as you were talking, Megan, I wrote down the word proximity. That's a word that obviously you've been teaching us about. I don't know if you've said it directly, but it's a principle you're teaching is you've got to learn about trans people from trans people, um, parents cool. of trans people. Um, yeah, it's a political hot potato right now. And I, I would invite us not to learn about trans people from cable news. Um, yeah. Their representation of trans people may not be the same way God feels about trans people or you will feel about trans people if you get to know them. And often in the story, this, this my lifetime, we've kind of built community around a veiled threat. And I could go through the list of things that have come and gone as the veiled threat. And trans people seem to be in the crossroads right now. And that can generate a lot of fear that you're helping to dismiss um, and it can create a lot of political motivation and votes. And I just think that's a lower law that Christ never implemented in his example of his ministry. So politics are fine. Having political parties are fine. Having fact-based discussions about this topic is fine. But when it gets fear-based, um, that's when I don't think it's consistent with the, the way that Christ modeled his ministry. And so I call it the trap of unearned opinions. Let's develop opinions about trans people from talking to trans people. And I heard a statistic that maybe 20 to 30% of people in the United States know a trans person. So 
that's a lot of us that don't know anybody that's trans. And so we should probably listen to lots of trans people. And I, you know, and I love the way you, you know, without me asking, you told us about your trans son. You told us his name, AJ, and you use his pronouns. And I just thought there was some grace in that, Megan, that I didn't have to ask that. You just volunteered. That was very natural for you. And I think you role model parenting that in a very natural way. I love, this is something that I picked up that parents of LGBTQ kids continue to tell me, especially moms, is God talks to me about how to parent my LGBTQ kiddo. Yes. And I have a lot of voices around me that, but at the end of the day, and that's our doctrine for those of you that are Latter-day Saints, is we as parents have, you know, personal revelation how to guide our kids. And sometimes in this space in the church, there's not a lot of direction. So a lot of LDS parents maybe rely even more on our heavenly parents. And we recognize our doctrine is um, these kids were their kids first and they're in our homes. Absolutely. And even though we may not think we're the perfect parent for, for an LGBT kid, oh, we might be. We're not perfect parents, but we may just be the perfect parent um, because we are doing the things that Megan's invited us to do. And we're and you probably would love to do some do-overs. I don't want to have any parent feel like, well, I wish I Megan's Megan's not saying she's done it all right. And I'm not Uh-oh. saying I've done it all right. No but way. <laughs> I think you can still be a really good parent and not be perfect in everything. And you may be just the right parent for your LGBTQ kiddo. And so I love that principle that. You know, at the end of the day, I really believe um, our Heavenly Parents, Heavenly Father, Heavenly Mother, I believe they're both there and they both really care about your kids and they want the best for them. And they will continue to guide you on how to navigate this road and don't beat yourself up if you feel you've made mistakes. You can do better. Um, I usually, when we talk about trans kids, I talk about Levi Martin. This is kind of a suicide trigger because Levi Martin is a trans kid who died by suicide. And um, his parents have been on the podcast. Um, and I, this is kind of triggering, but it's back to what our responsibility. And they've shared with me Levi's suicide note. Um, and I'm reading from it right now. Um, I am terrified of how society treats transgender people. And that's in the middle paragraph of this four page. And I feel that. And you know that, Megan, you've talked to parents. I feel that. And politics is amping that up in this. And we need to do everything we can for those of you that are Latter-day Saints. Um, just everybody, people need to hear kind things about trans people. Um, they need to be filled with positive things. So, so no one should ever feel that who they are, they're terrified of how that fits into society. That is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's just heartbreaking for me to realize that's the reality of how some of Heavenly Father's children feel. Other thoughts that come to your mind that you'd like to share? Just one more thought. Um, you were talking about, um, I, I absolutely know I am not a perfect parent. I would never, ever claim that. Um, but the thought popped in my head as you were saying, talking about that. 
do not underestimate the power of admitting when you have made a mistake or when you handle something in a way that in hindsight, you now see you could have done differently or better or more lovingly. Um, Kids, it means so much to our kids when you show up as a human and you say, I'm sorry, I didn't handle that very well. I'm learning. Can you forgive me? And I love you. And that right there is actually one of the most Christ-like, love-filled, life-changing moments you can have. Yeah. Don't underestimate that. What would you say if you have more time to a parent who um, believes they've got a, you know, I'm going to say junior high trans kid or somebody that's saying, you know, I'm kind of, you know, wonder if I'm trans and I maybe like to take on a different name or you could call me they or non-binary. And the parent really believes in the back of mind, this is just a phase they've connected Mm -hmm. with a group at school. Um, This is going to pass. So that's in the back of my mind and our listeners, I would offer up. It's possible. It's a phase. There may be some short term where the bottom of the iceberg really isn't gender dysphoria. It's something else, maybe a short term need to belong. Maybe it's, I don't, I don't want to invalidate anybody's experience by saying this is a phase because I don't think it is, but there may be some rare exceptions. What would you say to a parent who thinks, you know, this is a phase and maybe you thought it was a phase with your trans son, what would, and so I'm not going to do anything to affirm this because if mm-hmm. I affirm this, um, I'm sort of locking this in the, to be permanent. Um, that's a tender question, but I would, I bet you have some thoughts on that. I do. Um, the first thought without, um, diminishing the, the importance and the, the significance of this if, if a parent truly does think this is a phase, think about some of the other things that your kiddo may have been interested in or talked about or curious about or read about, and it was the phase. Can you approach it along those lines? Um, again, not diminishing. I understand when it comes to the topic of sex and gender, there's this certain level of, of, I don't know, worry, gravity, um, fear attached to it. But here's, here's the other thought that I have to share with you. When you think about what a person is subject to who identifies in this way, I just cannot fathom anybody choosing that as just a phase as is demonstrated by the sentence you read from that suicide note. I just, I'm really hard pressed to believe that anybody is choosing this, knowing the, um, the very difficult road that lies ahead. Yeah, I agree with that. And I love the way you, you take the same principles, some other 
things that kiddos go through. So listeners, you know, my experience is this is not a phase, you know, this is, you know, something that's real to people. And there may be some minor exceptions. I'm worried about, there are some people at detransition. We talked about that with Sue Robbins. If you want to scroll back, she's a transgender woman. And she talked about statistics about, you know, it's a very, very low percent of people that detransition. But I recognize that in the political world, someone who's detransitioned and maybe transitioned in the first place by not kind of medical help that you're referencing people get. Um, but that then invalidates other people's stories. And so that to me is not helpful. I recognize that there may be a very small minority that detransition, but it's back to your point is we have to listen to people's stories um, and honor their stories. Um, we can't tell other stories, you know, we, this this line you said, we can't tell others stories for them. So we can't take a detrans person and say, this is your story. Um, that is really painful. So um, I don't know if you've got any comments on that. The other thing I really liked is you said, and I wrote this down, and you talked about Monica Phillips' um, story, and they did get some DNA testing and sort of had, I'm using the right scientific term, some biological understanding of why their transgender mm-hmm. son feels transgender. But her point and your point is that doesn't invalidate the stories of people that are transgender. Right. And don't have sort of this biological um, understanding at this point. And so those stories are second-class transgender stories. Or, you didn't say that. I'm putting vocabulary out there that, you know, and you just said listening is proof. So they don't have to prove their experience to us um, by pointing to something. They just, we just believe them because it's part of the grace of being a human. And honor their story, even if it's different than how we feel or what our worldview. So I don't know if there's anything in there you want to come back to. We're kind yeah, of coming I do, to the end. I do want to comment are, on those are you, tender you topics. How, <laughs> you mentioned how sometimes there will be uh, those who maybe detransition or or change their mind. And I do know that happens. But one thing that's less talked about going back to other procedures that individuals will opt to have done to their own bodies, um, there are less known or less talked about complications that will happen in future years. There is such thing as breast implant illness that will bring on other problems to the point where literally they need to be removed. Just the presence of them is, is harmful to the person's body. I just, I bring that up just to, to invite listeners to really um, think about how they are viewing. It's, it's this, at a very fundamental level, it's the same concept, body autonomy, being able to do with your body, what you feel brings you some type of gender euphoria, right? Whether, no matter how you identify even if you identify as a cisgender woman which means you i your your gender expression as a woman i you know aligns with the basically your body parts that we associate with being female um there's there's other complications that can arise from 
uh, optional surgeries that people will choose to have. I mean, fillers, face fillers can go wrong, Juvederm or Botox, or we've all heard of horror stories where permanent damage occurs. Um, the thing is, is going back to this idea, if it, if it is just a phase, think, think about this. Let's say that it is, but you, the way you approach it as a parent or maybe um, a trusted family member or whatever, you shut them down, you, you push them away, you criticize them. Guess what is going to happen? You're going to shut down any future communication or relationship or growth or trust. So however you approach this situation now is going to um, lay groundwork of sorts for your relationship with this individual moving forward. So can you be there and be loving? And um, again, this goes back to getting your own support when so that you can process whatever you're going through and not put that burden on your child. That is not their burden to bear. They're, they already have enough going on for themselves, right? They're already navigating something that is pretty tough. And um, it is not on them to, to process your discomfort, your pain, your fear, your misunderstanding, whatever, fill in the blank. So just take note how you um, approach it, navigate it now is going to affect your relationship long-term. And so what, what do you want that to look like? How do you want to show up now? How do you want to, um, you know, do you want to stay a part of this person's life? And, and always, always, I ask myself, is what I'm about to say or do coming from a place of fear or is it coming from a place of love? And if the answer is fear, that is always a red flag. Then I need some more time to step back, think about it, process it, talk to, uh, you know, my therapist or a, a life, my life coach or a support group and then come back to it and revisit it when I can approach it in a way that is loving because you can still share concerns in a loving way. It doesn't have to be pejorative or um, mean or cut cut a person off from your your love and your presence in your relationship. Well, that's a great concluding segment on principles of effective parenting and keeping the relationship open and the communication channel open and also for parents to take care of themselves um, and how that's different than your responsibility to help your kid. You've got to take care of yourself and you've got to validate the mourning that you feel that you've talked about and not dismiss that because I think it makes you a better parent. So those are two different things and you did a great job of separating those. Um, Thank you. This is, there's a bunch of people that are just, this has been one of the best podcasts for them come at the right time of their life. 
They may not have a trans kiddo. It will really help if, you know, but it just may be I'm walking a unique road, you know, with somebody I love and you've given me principles to navigate this um, that are consistent with my values and consistent with my goals and sort of practical application to give me the courage to do this the way um, I know now I can do it. So, uh, Megan, there's a lot of people you're blessing not only with this podcast, but the other podcasts you've done, your lift and love story, your coaching work, and just the many times you talk about this, your voice is very thoughtful, very mature, and very helpful. So thank you for stepping in the space and um, having the courage to be in this space. So I could say the same for you. Thank you for having the courage <laughs> to amplify voices. Well, you're welcome, Megan. One without the other. So listeners will sign off. Richard Osler from a beautiful November day in Utah and Megan Skidmore from, I assume, a nice day in Texas. Um, yeah, actually it is. It's pretty sunny. <laughs> yeah, definitely and... no so. snow. Um, we're kind of in autumn is what they call it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we, we kind of get fall. But... You've, you've earned any cool weather you can get. So Yeah, we do. And... Thank you, listeners, for yes. um, being uh, joining us on this podcast and sharing it with others. And I'm grateful for your listeners that make this work. So we'll sign off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>